And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today's podcast is entitled, The New Beginning of the Local New Testament Church. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Good to see all of you. I'm happy to be with you today. And... I hope that this is a profitable time. I decided I would try uh, to spend this time with you. And I appreciate you coming. I want us to pray together in just a moment. I'm still dealing with this uh, Bell's palsy, but I hope it's not too obvious. And... um, I believe we have some very important things to discuss. May God give us direction and grace, strength. Let's pray together, may we? Our Father, we thank Thee for this day and for Thy love and mercy. We know that in this peril that we're in, we're not alone. And we trust in Thee. Guide us by Your Spirit. Open our understanding. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I said to you that I wanted to talk about the new beginning of the New Testament church. And the emphasis on the local church. And I hope that you're on board with this. And we're all going to try to do our very best. We have a new beginning. Uh, A number of years ago, I did a, a video about an open window. And I said, we have an open window that will only be open for just a little while. And I made reference to... Our President Trump. Well, now that window has closed. And we had a moment in that. There are those who said that he was the most Christian friendly president we had had. And there are many ways we define that. But here we are now in the midst of an adversarial situation. And there's no doubt that our message remains the same. And I think in my heart that what we might have going on will be a more intensified effort because we know now what we're facing and the battle is on. There's no questions now 
the battle is on. And I want to give just a few references. When I was pastor of the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey, I went to a church that had been without a pastor for five years. Wonderful people. As a matter of fact, there was a faithful remnant there. And I connected with that remnant. At the same time, we were seeing a lot of people come to know Christ. And most of those people had no background. And so there were basically two extremes. There was a handful of people who loved God, who loved God's Word, who knew the Lord, who knew God's Word, and were what we call fundamental Christian people. But the overwhelming majority of people were new Christians. And they had to, to learn what is the Christian faith. And so we had to spell it out. God blessed in a great way, and we give him glory for that. Um, the Lord used that church in a mighty way to influence a lot of people in that greater New York City area. But the battle was constant. It was relentless. And we found ourselves in the midst of an adversarial group of people because there were no peers, no churches, uh, no common denominator things that we could say, these are people that are our friends and fellow workers. Uh, but what it did, it intensified our efforts. The gospel became more precious. Now, I believe that we're having an awakening. As a matter of fact, if we don't have an awakening, we're never going to have one. If you're not going to have an awakening, you're never going to have one. If your church is not going to awaken, it's, it's never going to awaken. Uh, I'm going to just read a few things here just to give you, a, I think, a framework. I have an article that's come to my hands on first things, what Christians can expect from a Joe Biden and Camilla Harris uh, regime or presidency. And I want to try to read them to you, and uh, I want you to just pay close attention just a moment. The administration of presumptive President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Camilla Harris is certain to implement policies and initiate legislation that will, at best, be in tension with the moral circumstances of Christians in the United States. And then examples. Moral positions on Christians that are uh, actually repugnant to us and will infringe upon the exercise of religious faith. So it's here now. It's here. And so, for example, in the matter of abortion, 
I don't think any of us ever realized that uh, when we had our President Trump, uh, how how he fought with us and for us on the matter of abortion. But Biden has repeatedly personally affirmed the morality of abortion without meaningful restrictions. Now this is this is where we are. Think about. Think about uh, morality and immorality and what is called now commonly and for years has been called amorality. In other words, the position, the position is there's no fixed moral position. And, and if need be, it is also a position against what we're believing and preaching as Christians. We have the Bible as the final authority for our faith and practice, but our people don't know the Bible. Many of our pastors don't know the Bible. They've been preaching their sugar sticks and that type of thing. Look at your Bible. Look at the Bible you study and preach from. Is it worn everywhere? Are there places that, that aren't even used? Are there portions of Scripture that are unknown even to you as a minister of the gospel? And uh, line upon line, precept upon precept. We must give people. But in the matter of abortion, we're dealing with, with the strange things. And so you're going, to be, you're going to be confronted with things that you've never been confronted with. For example, they will almost certainly re-implement regulations from the Obama, Obama administration prohibiting states that receive federal funds for family planning from withholding payments on to abortion meals such as Planned Parenthood. Uh, this is going to go so far that when, when states want things, not just countries, but when states want things from this government, they're not going to grant those things unless they comply with the moral standard and especially in the matter of abortion. For example, in the Obama administration, a, a country, a foreign country could not receive aid from the United States unless they complied with the abortion rules that we wanted to promote. And so that's what we're up against. Your message is going to be more confrontational than it's ever been. Gender ideology is going to be the great issue of the day. Now, where do you stand? And when you say, where do you stand, or you think, where do you stand, I want to ask you this question. What have you defined for your people? What answers do they give on the job? I've, I've affirmed again and again that when we deal with family, when the foundation and function of the family is given to us in the Word of God, you can find that in the book of Genesis. Uh, but when the foundation and the family is given to us and the function of the family, that answers all the gender questions. But you can't just say, well, I believe that the Bible teaches good. Where? How? Spell it out. See, your preaching and teaching of the Word of God 
is not sufficient unless your people who are listening can tell their friends and associates this is where it's found and this is what it says. I'm saying to you that it's placed a burden on us that's good. Because now, now we have to go further and it's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for us. You may be saying in your audience of people, this is what we believe. Well, where do you, where did you find that? When I was in Patterson, New Jersey, people, you won't believe it, but people actually said from the congregation, when I would make a doctrinal statement about something, they were so unfamiliar with it, they would shout out from the congregation, where does it say that in the Bible? And so I had to develop a style of preaching where people could read with me what the Word of God would say and uh, where, where it spelled out. So they wanted to mark it and have it so they could tell people those kinds of things. I want to just read a couple of things here. Uh, Biden has also promised to re-implement aggressive Obama-era policies imposing secular gender ideologies on all aspects of public life. That means everywhere in life, not just you say, well, I've got my church defined here. We've cleared off, I've cleared off a little space in our church, and this is what we believe. Well, your people don't live inside the church building. They don't function inside the church building. We have to penetrate those other areas of life with the truth. Never in our lifetime has the local assembly been called on to extend the truth further than we're called on to do it now. And so that's why we're trying to lead the way. There's something called Dear colleagues, I want you to mark that down. Write it down right now, would you please? Dear colleagues, this is a letter from May 2016 which forced public schools that received vital federal funds to allow students to use locker rooms, restrooms, and showers of the students choosing regardless of the student's biological sex. So it's, it's always clothed in something that sounds friendly, approachable, neighborly. So the public school system in America, I'm just doing this from memory, I think there's 14,000 school districts in America. There's 3,200 counties. Now, some of the first things they're going to do by executive order is to say these things are now enacted. So any student can use any restroom they want to use any locker room, can participate in any sport, and they will become the biological gender that they declare themselves to be. So a basketball team may have a transgendered uh, young man playing on the girls' team. He's changed his name. And uh, we've seen this already. We know it's happening. But the proliferation of it, and the extension of it is going further than ever. 
and this is going to happen so that people will challenge things. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking now about the public school systems in America, and you may think, and I may think, well, we have our Christian school, and thank God we have a world-class Christian school. We've had a Christian school and a Christian education program for 50 years. Think of that. But what about our people? What about our communities? What message do we have for them? So gender identity is going to be the great issue of the day. Now you think about a president and a vice president. Now the first thing... Uh, Kamala Harris did in in uh, California as Attorney General is perform a same-sex wedding and that wasn't just to have a wedding ceremony it was to declare that we're pushing the agenda as far as we can possibly push it now I'll read read on here a Biden Justice Department will also oppose states' efforts to prevent biological males from displacing females in high school athletics. So it's all going to be as confusing as possible. What are we going to do? What message do you have? What is your message about abortion? What is your message about gender ideology? And... Uh, we, we barely know the terms. And we've got to familiarize ourselves with a few things so we know what they're talking about. Biden has also indicated he supports the so-called Equality Act. Would you write that down? The Equality Act. Which has passed in the House and has been championed by Harrison in the Senate. The legislation is designed to impose gender identity even beyond schools and other institutions that receive federal funding. Its purpose is to force businesses and other public institutions not merely to accommodate people according to their gender identity, but rather to affirm an ideology that violates the moral commitments that most Christians have. This forces citizens to say or affirm falsehoods about sex and gender. So, what is your message? And you and I must hone and develop our message before we're called on to give it. So what is your message? How will you phrase these things? Uh, this Equality Act would make it a violation for a person's civil rights for example, to refuse to use pronouns that, are, that uh, accord with a person's stated gender identity rather than his or her biological sex, such refusal could be actionable as sexual harassment. So, for instance, you may say, that's not a man. Well, if he says he is, or she says she is, we could be taken to court for sexual harassment. I think this will get worse before it gets any better. And the challenges are coming. But for us, the whole issue is religious liberty.
I want you to write down something, would you please? Write down first freedom. First freedom. I think that's an expression that, that we need to use. First freedom. This is our first freedom. And it's our, our liberty, our individual soul liberty. And uh, that's the first guaranteed freedom that we have. When our founding fathers gathered to write the documents to form a nation, they talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And liberty is our individual soul liberty. Do you have liberty? Do you exercise your liberty? Um, is what you're saying a real conviction? Are you using biblical language? I'd like to recommend some things to you that I have preached on. Uh, I have a message that I'll put up for you on individual soul liberty. And I apologize to you again for dealing with this palsy. I've got it in a little bit of a twisted mouth and that kind of thing. But I just have so many things I wanted to say to you. I just came on out publicly. And uh, it'll be a few weeks, they say, if it does go away. But I want you to have access to a message that I preached on individual soul liberty. And there's some other things I'm going to post for you so that it will help frame a little bit about what you, uh, what you want to say to your people. I've got some books I'm going to recommend, but I want to show you something. This is a booklet, a magazine that I did on the local church. Uh, and the table of contents, I'll read to you. First, it's the ideal church. Then the article on the measure of a church. How do you measure your church? And then, of course, the vision of the church. I imagine this ought to be in a little book. but um, And then... The church advancing by faith. Then the pioneering work of the church. And we need to pioneer our work. Then the leadership of the local church and the distinctives of a Baptist church. Now I want to charge you a thousand dollars for this. But basically what I've been saying is if you call and write and ask for it, you can get it. Ryan, can we prepare copies for this again for people? And uh, but I want you to have this resource. Decide how you're going to use it. And I would suggest that you give messages on this. Because what we're trying to do, we're trying to declare that 2021 is the year of the local church. So you've got banks, you've got schools, You've got businesses, you've got insurance companies, you've got everything imaginable in your town or city. Well, what about the local church? What is the local church there for? What's it there for? If you're not careful, the local church will be reduced just to your members. And what you're doing is you're trying to accommodate your people and you're preaching to one another and sharing the message with one another, bouncing the message off of one another. 
and uh, and you feel a certain security perhaps even because you're saying to one another well we believe this don't we and and the affirmative comes yes we believe it and you've got everybody in the church building believing it but the truth that you've got needs to get outside the four walls of that building. Do you agree with that? We've got a, a, a nation that's in peril. And now we've gone full cycle. We've elected an executive branch in government that opposes our Christian convictions. They don't just accommodate us. They oppose us. They oppose us on the inerrancy of Scripture. They oppose us on the family. And uh, all these things are, are being enacted. Now, uh, and now we've gone beyond that. We've got a legislative branch. And we've got a controlled Congress and Senate that opposes biblical Christianity. And they're able to enact laws Think of that. Now we're living in a country that is enacting laws that are directly opposed to our Christian faith. Now, the only branch of government that's left is the Supreme Court. So the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the Supreme Court. And we know the things that have been passed down by the Supreme Court have been very disturbing. So here you find yourself opposing your government, opposing the legislative branch, and standing against what the Supreme Court has ruled. And instead of saying, instead of saying uh, we're in opposition, turn the thing around. Where are people going to hear the truth? Where are they going to hear it? If you don't declare the word of God, if your church is not the pillar and ground of the truth, if you're not speaking the truth in love, if you're not providing the voice for these things, where on God's earth are people going to get it? And so, I don't think we've ever had any such responsibility put upon us in my lifetime. We've always thought in our lifetime that we, that we had sympathies at least. But now we're dealing with something entirely different. So prepare yourself. You may want to strengthen your congregation. For example, I have about 40 of these little booklets on issues. Here's one on, is abortion the killing of the unborn? I had, uh, I think, three medical doctors help me with this to make sure that I had everything correct. And, um, but you may want to get this to your people. By the way, how, how are you going to develop your church? How are you going to lead your church? If we say this is the new beginning of the New Testament church, is the pastor trained and convinced of the truth? Look at how the Lord Jesus did his work. The Lord Jesus called disciples. 
He gave those disciples his purpose and his passion. And then after he trained them, he taught them how to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He taught them how to pray. And he commissioned them to go. If you, if something happened to you right now, maybe this is one way to look at it. God forbid that it would. Who would carry on and what would they say? What would they know to tell the people? The strength of your church is not in its pastor. The strength of your church is in the level of leadership you've trained to work with the pastor. Men and women who know the truth, who preach the truth, who propagate the truth, who train people in the truth. So there's the leader, there are people who work with the leader, and there are followers and those to be reached. And uh, I'm just trying to press this to you. Here's a little booklet you may want to get. And there are many of them. You can get the titles on the ideal church. There's a chapter on that in this magazine. And you could teach and preach this to your people. If we have an ideal church, this is what we would have. You may not do this all at one time. You may do one of these things and then another one of these things, another one of these things, in addition to what you're preaching. But I'm just saying, you're going to have to get your gun loaded. And you're going to have to engage. And you know that you're getting the job done when other people are truthfully repeating what you've said. I've said this to you many times. A preacher shouldn't preach to be heard. A preacher should preach to be repeated. What do you know? What do your people know? We're in peril, brethren. I don't want to frighten you, but we're in peril. And these are not ordinary times. May God help you. I want to give you something that you may or may not agree with. But it's helping us. We have committed to evangelize the small towns. That beyond our doors, we need to propagate what we believe here. So, there are communities, towns, that need to be evangelized. So we have chosen a community and a town about 30 miles from us. And we're going to evangelize that town. Now I want you to think right now. Matter of fact, if you take a pen, you can begin to write some towns that you know this town needs evangelizing. This town, we need to get the gospel of these people. These people don't have what we have. What town would it be? What would be the name of that town? Now, what that's going to do is we're going to build our people to be able to evangelize that town. We're getting a place to meet. That's not the only thing we're going to do, evangelizing the town. We're going to have a series of meetings 
for this mission or this campaign. We're going to train our people to do soul winning and witnessing there. And in doing that, we're also trained to do it here. And so um, we're going to have a series of meetings with goals and objectives to evangelize that town. So the idea is that we reach people who will reach people who will reach people. That's how God dealt with me about the call to preach. And um, that happened long ago, half a century ago. But we're trying to give God an opportunity to get those things done, to get the seed out of the barn and into the field just to see what God's Word will do in evangelizing the small towns. And if you want to get on board with this, this particular thing, you can get on board with this and you can follow us. You can even join with us if you wish. And then we will help you evangelize a small town near where you are that you choose and pray about and pray over where you train people and that type of thing. So uh, get involved. Make the decision. But the whole point of this is very, very simple. We cannot continue the way we're continuing. We can't just do more of what we've been doing. We cannot. The need is too great. The time is too short. The labors are too few. So what will you do differently in your church? What new beginning will you have in your church? What will it be? Will it result in the beginning of new Sunday school classes? Will it be result in the training of new soul winners? Will it result in other people, other people teaching and preaching the Word of God? Uh, this new beginning. If the local church is a pillar and ground of the truth, and it is, You've got to step up. You've got to get beyond. What is it that moves you forward? Uh, may God guide you and help you. I'm only, going to, I'm only going to talk to you just for a few more minutes. But I have some questions that people have sent me. And uh, I want to try to answer them to you. And I'm struggling with this, but I'll be fine. First question, in light of current events, which of your Sunday school books would you commend as a series to go through right now in our churches? Well, I've written about 40 of them, but I just chose some here. Here's a book entitled Becoming a First Century Church. And what we do is deal with what things were like in the first century. It, it, opens, it opens with a word from Charles Spurgeon on first century Christianity. <clears throat> and then it goes the power of the church, the authority of the church, the doctrine of the church, the structure of the church. All this is the first century. All these things. I think this would be a good book to have. But don't get any of these. Just don't do it. Unless you're willing to get together like Jesus did 
a group of people and train them in this and then let them teach it to other people. You don't just throw it out indiscriminately. Plan the thing. You're the leader. You're the leader. If you don't lead, who will lead? You say, well, I don't know how to do all that. Well, learn. Call on somebody. Rise to the occasion. There's not been any challenge come down the pike in your lifetime like the one we are facing right now. Right now. We're going to be overrun with this gender ideology. We're going to be overrun with it. And uh, you see, it's going, to be, it's going to mean something to you when somebody you love comes and tells you. Someone I love just said now that they're, they're pan. What does that mean? Pan. This is a young woman who has grown up around here, whose grandmother is a personal friend of mine, who says she, she wants to be with men and women. And, uh, and she's just approaching 20. But it's going to become so common because the media is running with it. Here's a book that I wrote because of people minimizing church membership. Are you minimizing church membership? Is the easiest thing in town to join in your church? What's it mean to belong to your church? When the Apostle Paul came to Jerusalem, he joined, he joined that church. He, he went to join that church to glue himself, to be identified with people in that city who were identified with Christ. So here's a book on the joy of church membership, believing and belonging. Maybe that's where you need to emphasize something. Believing and belonging. Maybe your people need faith in God. Here's, here's a book on the 11th chapter of Hebrews on having faith in God. Boy, if we don't have faith now, when are we going to ever have it? And then here's a book on the truths every Christian needs to know so that you get them grounded in these matters. Truths, truths every Christian needs to know. Maybe that's where you want to go. And then here's a book on the 51st Psalm on the way back to God. So many people have been blessed and helped by that book because I, I've heard from them. They found their way back to God. And the 51st Psalm is a book about how to find your way back to God. And I, there, there's many more. Question number two. How to make the most of this moment in our nation's history as a Christian and pastor? Well, you ever heard anybody say, hit the nail on the head? They hit the nail on the head. Get, get specific. Nothing is dynamic until it's specific. And uh, so what are you saying to your people? What are you asking them to do? Don't generalize in preaching and generalize in invitations. This is what I'm asking you to do. You don't say, we ought to pray. Everybody ought to pray. When do you want us to pray? When are we going to get together and pray? What are we going to pray about? What are specific things we're going to see answers to? What are we going to ask the God of heaven and earth to move and to do? And so when we get specific in prayer, we can see the answers to prayer. So, the things like that. How are we to emphasize the local church to our people? 
Well, what is it? What is the local church? What is it? It's a group of baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. Well, if you haven't joined yourselves together, if you haven't done it voluntarily, if, if it's not baptized believers, if they're not carrying out the Great Commission, it's not a local church. I'm just saying, uh, it's, it's way past time for us to generalize. It's way past time for us to idolize. You know, it's way past time. We've just got to get down to God's business and get it done. Somebody asks, as a believer, I'm deeply disturbed by what has been happening in America. Well, I'd say if you're a human being, you ought to be disturbed about that. Truthfully, I'm having a hard time keeping my eyes fixed on eternal things. I don't understand that. Because if there ever was a time for people to be fixed on the Lord, it ought to be now. And I care about America deeply. Do you even know what America is? Do you know the difference between the American government and the American country? I may be terribly disappointed with our government, and I am, but I still love my country. Do you still love your country? Loving America? Begin to work on your government and your, locally. Do you know your mayor? Do you know who he is or who she is? you have a relationship with them? Do they know you? Do they know what you believe? Have you written them? Do you call them? Do you commend them when things go on? Do you congratulate them when they do things that are right? Uh, don't be one of these preachers that's isolated somewhere and uh, you're captain, all right. You're captain of your crowd and that's the only people you know. Get out of that. And get out where the people are. And God will bless and use you. Uh, I'm so stirred up I can hardly stand myself. But the fact of the matter is, I want, to, I want to use this energy in the best way possible. Other question? Just tell me. Yes. Do you have any suggestions in writing politicians, encouraging those that are believers, as well as stating where our church will continue to stand? Find out. I remember the first time I asked our mayor, this has been 30 years ago. I said, Mayor Ragsdale, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you do, I want you to tell me about it. And uh, he's never forgotten that. He's no longer the mayor, but he's never forgotten that. You have every right to speak to people in the right tone, in the right spirit about the Lord become the spiritual advisor for them let them know you're praying for them and then don't say I'm praying for you that's a bunch of baloney don't say I'm praying for you say I'm praying for you and I want to pray right now and then pray if it's over the phone or if you're standing beside them pray bow your head put your arm around them get near them and pray pray with them maybe they've never had somebody pray with them I'm saying to you, move 
forward. Move forward. God has allowed you to do this. May God help you to do it. This must be a new beginning. If you were starting your church today, there are things you'd do because you're starting it. You'd get a group of people to pray. You'd depend first and foremost on the spiritual things. I mean by that, you'd know you couldn't start a church without prayer. You couldn't start a church without personal evangelism and witnessing. Jesus left the church doctrine. You couldn't start a church without declaring what the doctrine is. Jesus left the church ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. You wouldn't start a church without that. Emphasize these things that are New Testament things. And um, why is your church in that community? Ask yourself that question until you get an answer. Why? Why, are we, why do we exist? Do we have a reason for existence? You know, it's not just to promote self and self-existence. Maybe another question or two. I think, yes, preaching. Give attention to your preaching and what you're preaching. And help people to know that preaching has to be practical. And God bless you and use you. I think I would suggest to you that you stop complaining about everything going wrong. In other words, we've got the worst governor on the face of God's earth, or our mayor is a, a hypocrite or a reprobate. No, 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 no. Do something about it. Do something about it. And God will bless and use that, no doubt. But we must have a new beginning of New Testament churches. A new beginning of New Testament churches. How are you handling the senior saints that are not coming into the service? Our senior saints are not coming. Many of them scared to death. So we're doubling and quadrupling our efforts to reach them and keep them in touch. To keep them praying. They may not be attending the meeting, but they're as much as ever a part of the church. That's very important. Call on them to pray for you. Call on them to participate. Give them prayer assignments. Give them responsibilities. Our people have gotten shocked recently about the inability to communicate with one another because of all these social media platforms coming down. So I said to our church, communicate with one another. Call someone. Speak to people. Simple. Pray with one of our members over the phone. Just call and say, I know we both love the Lord and we love our church. I want us to pray. I'll lead in prayer, then you close the prayer. There are things that we might be doing now that we haven't been doing 
just because some of these things have arisen. And I think it's important. You know, I'm a firm believer that God will speak to me. That God will direct me. Jesus Christ will not leave me alone like an orphan. He will show me what to do, how to minister, how to extend the ministry. He will help me, and he does, he has. I want to remind you again, if you want this magazine on the local church, I know it will help you. Just uh, let us know. Uh, are we going to charge them for anything or just send it to them? Uh, they won't even pay the postage, huh? That's okay. We'll get them. We're having a couple's retreat in the Great Smoky Mountains. February 25th, 26th, and 27th. Uh, Dr. Johnny Pope and his wife will be with us. My wife and I will be there. It's our annual Faith for the Family Couples Retreat, February 25th, 26th, and 27th. If you want to get your battery charged and load your idea wagon again with biblical things, plan to be in this couples retreat. It'll be good for you. One thing we can all do is encourage one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. And let's work hard at encouraging one another. Um, thank you for being with me today. I hope some things have been said that will help you. I've got lots of resources here. I'll send them to you if, you if you ask for them. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. We know that you're with us. That we're never alone and we're never forsaken. And we believe with all of our soul, Lord, the most important thing that's going on is what's going on through our local assemblies. So help us to be faithful to Thee in our church. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to recognize that we are pillars and ground of the truth. Help us to win the loss to Thee. Guide us by Thy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.